Welcome back to another episode of the Two Stroke Penalty Golf Podcast. I'm your host, George Simon. Today we have the privilege of talking with Rex Hoggart, the senior writer at the Golf Channel. And we'll talk about the content monster, the handicap system, and playing illegitimate golf. You'll see what I mean when we get to the conversation. You know, Rex and I had a little discussion about some of the challenges that the Golf Channel was facing during the pandemic. And I think that took its toll. You've seen, if you watch uh, any of the Golf Channel, you'll see that it has moved, closed the studios down in Orlando, and is now coming out of Connecticut at the NBC headquarters. So clearly the pandemic and that, uh, that reach for content during a, a very long time off took its toll on the Golf Channel, and that's a shame. Uh, Rex continues there with the Golf Channel, and uh, but so, a lot of the, the faces and names have changed. And uh, Morning Drive is gone. It's been replaced with a, a show called Golf Today, and it's a uh, more of a noon show, middle day show, uh, rather than a morning show. It's a little different format, different content, different some of the same names and uh, some new ones as well. So without further ado, Let's take a listen to the conversation with Rex Hoggart. Well, welcome. Thanks for joining the show. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it's a very busy schedule right now, so I don't know how I even worked you into my schedule. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Kidding, kidding of right. course. Yeah. I heard Rory comment uh, he had nothing to practice for, he was telling somebody. He said, I, I need competition. I can't even, uh, I don't even know what to do. So he's going to hold off on, on practice, which is... Uh, that's kind of uh, interesting. So I actually, uh, you know, that's funny. I, I wrote a column on this yesterday because I had a chance to actually talk to a couple of players and they've, they've never been in a position like this before. Since I mean, all of us as golfers, particularly them as competitive golfers, I mean, you've always gotten ready for something, right? A junior yeah. event when you're a teenager or, or a college event or now major championships. And you don't have that. And I, I think it's, a, it's an interesting time to be a competitor of any type, but specifically a golfer. It certainly is. It'd be interesting how uh, how rusty people come back when it uh, when it all does come back. Um, short game, you know. The, and there there are guys who uh, you know have they've got their own facilities for uh, for tuning up, and there are some that don't. So that'll be uh, that'll be interesting. So let me let me get a little background, Rex, if I can. You uh, you you obviously you've been with Golf Channel for is it over fifteen years? Uh, no, it's over ten. I think I'm I'm going coming up on twelve years right now. Twelve years, okay, mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, you were with Golf Week before that as a writer. Yeah, a little over a decade at Golf Week, and then before that, I was at the Orlando Sentinel for well almost uh, ten years before that. So it's, wow. that, that spans my thirty years. Yeah, are you uh, are you are you a Orlando native, or are you from a different area? I was born in Titusville, which I don't know if you're familiar with Central Florida. It's it's yep. over on the coast by the Space Center. So yeah, yeah. kind of. I'm a Florida native, which we're, yeah. we're, there's very few of us, but I'm not an Orlando native. Yeah. So explain to me the Orioles, uh, lifelong Orioles thing. And uh, is it a Cal Ripken thing? It, well, yeah, it's always a Cal Ripken thing for someone of our age or my age. Um, my parents were from Norfolk, Virginia. Uh -huh. And uh, we moved around a lot when I was a kid. So we, we did a stint uh, probably around 10, 11, 12 years old. where We lived in Washington, D.C. My sister lived up there and we lived with her. 
And uh, it was sort of the formative years for me in baseball. And I remember sneaking on the Metro with my brother and going up to Old Memorial Stadium. And uh, this is a very long story. I'll make it as short as possible. Uh, (laughs) Caught a home run, a foul ball by Lee Lacey. Oh. And I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. Went to the, the player's entrance and I was going to get Lee to sign it. And after about 40 minutes, the security guard said, dude, the, he's gone, man. He, he, Lee Lacey is, is long gone. He goes, have that guy sign it for you. And of course, that guy was Cal. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> that's great. That is a good story. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, I, I know, you know, I didn't come from uh, the areas that I, for some reason, chose uh, fandom. You know, I, I was uh, born, in, well, to some degree. From Brooklyn, I picked the Los Angeles Rams and the Philadelphia 76ers as, uh, as my <laughs> wow. team's coach. Yeah, go figure. And I realized I was I was more a particular player fan than necessarily a team fan. As Dr. J moved on, I uh, it was no longer so much the uh, Sixers fan. So, so uh, tell me a little bit about uh, what's going on at the Golf Channel at the moment. I know it's uh, you know it's it's it shut down. We we're bringing back some anything live coming up soon i think we are actually i I just received a phone call about 30 seconds ago from uh our executive producer mark summer who uh, i'm sure he probably wants me to come on tonight we have uh well we started last week sort of experimenting with coming up with five 10 minute segments a night golf central segments something newsy i think gary williams is sort of anchoring those from from his home office and we've worked people in as, as news and stories develop and and i think Right now, that's just online. I think eventually we will get to a point very, very shortly from what I've been told that it'll be more linear where we'll, it'll actually be on the TV. And mm-hmm. I think we're going to do the same thing with Morning Drive. And it, it's all new to all of us. I was just, you know, what's funny is I, I've woken up every morning the last two weeks and I've turned on ESPN and I know there's no news and I know there's no sports and yet we're just kind of conditioned. And I think we need to be cognizant of that. Yeah, this might not be apply to you, but it, it feels like every day is a Saturday when you're waking up that the urgency is not there. There's almost nothing scheduled, and it's uh, it's very strange. Yeah. Hey, so tell me, how, how did you get to the Golf Channel gig? Is there any interesting aspect of that, or was it a sort of standard approach? Uh, yeah, it was kind of uh, – well, no, I guess it wasn't standard. I was working at, at Golf Week, and I was very lucky to get a job there. And, and, I mean, let's face it, I was working for a weekly magazine covering golf, so – I can't imagine a job with less heavy lifting in my entire life. You write once a week about a sport that you absolutely love. And I I can't imagine I was ever going to leave that job. And um, a good friend of mine was the editor of golfweek.com at the time. His name was Jay Coffin. He left to go take over the website at golfchannel.com. And about six months after that, he reached out to me and asked if I had any interest in coming over. He needed a tour writer and, and, and it was a hard decision. I mean, I had a lot of friends and still have a lot of friends at golf week and you know, it was kind of more, more of a long-term thing. I had no interest in going into TV. I had no interest in being on that side of things, but I certainly yeah. liked the idea of, of working for a larger sort of media conglomerate. And, and it's turned out to be a, a great experience. Jay's built a, a wonderful website. And, um, it, I think it's awesome. He let me come along for the ride. Yeah, that's great. I, um, I, I'm going to pay you a compliment uh, briefly, and I don't, you know, some people receive them well, some don't. So just bear with me really quick. When we were at, this was the, the actually the Deutsche Bank, uh, which was at the moment the Dell uh, for that season, and uh, I, I was behind you walking toward past the clubhouse, and I and I called out to you. I said, "Hey, Rex," and you turned around, and your response to me was, "Is everything okay?" 
and I don't know if it was my appearance that made you think that, but, <laughs> but I, I thought to myself, that is a, a unique response. Most people just say, hey, yeah, what's up? But yours was uh, a genuine uh, response, and I appreciated it, and I think a lot of people could uh, probably take something from that. So at any rate, it was a, uh, it was a good response. Uh, probably because so, that's the way people always greet me because, right. you know, I'm sure just, they look at me and they wonder, is, I wonder if he's okay. So that's, that's probably how I've been conditioned. But thank you. That's very nice of you. <laughs> very good. So uh, let me let me ask you a couple of questions. We'll, we'll get, I just was noticing that the official golf world rankings, are, they're not on pause. It seems that they're, they're going to be ebbing and flowing. People will take the number one position, maybe, uh, maybe John Rahm without a, any activity. Uh, no, I think they are on pause. Are uh, they? My, yeah, my understanding oh, is that they've sort of locked them down, which is a really good idea because the last thing, I mean, look, I, I love it because it gives me something to write about and the content yeah. monster is eating me alive right now. But <laughs> you certainly don't want Rory in three or four weeks to drop out because of a, you know, an addition, you know, some, some sort of math. Yeah. And, uh, so, yeah, I think it's best to put it on pause until we, we get started again whenever that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you, what's your take on, uh, on golf courses as a, uh, you know, uh, non-essential essential. I mean, the shutdown thing, I, I think it's the perfect sport for this. I don't, I don't understand this. Uh, it seems like it. And uh, for, for instance, my, my mother-in-law called me uh, two days ago and wanted to know if I had a light carry bag. And I was, my response was, yeah, of course you can have this and what's going on. And, and they were about to, to essentially close the golf course that they live on here in central mm-hmm. Florida. And her plan is to continue to play golf. And I think it's fascinating. And, and again, this is, we're all in our little bubble and, and we're just seeing how, how it's worked out. But the way they've, so they've taken those, those pool things that you, you know, the floaty round pool things and they've yep. cut them up and, and they've put them in the, the, the golf hole. So you, your golf ball doesn't drop in. You don't have to touch the flag. And, and they, you, you can, I mean, I don't know if there's a better social distancing sport. You kind of hate to say that, but there isn't a better social distancing sport other than golf. Exactly. Especially the way I hit it. You know, it, it's, uh, I'm usually very far away from those I'm playing with. Well, a close second, and I, I surf. And so I went surfing earlier this week, and, and I was kind of standing on the beach looking down an empty beach and thinking, well, this, this is probably a little bit ahead of golf because there is absolutely no one around me when I'm surfing. Yeah, that's very true. Very true. What do you think about the new handicap system? Have you dug into it at all? A, a little bit, only in as much as I, I think it's – we're getting closer to the point where, because I've ran in this a lot. So I go to the UK once a year for the open championship and you play a lot of golf when you're over there and the, the handicaps never match up. I always mm. end up just getting beaten terribly yeah. in a match against, you know, some guy who has a UK handicap. That's the same as mine. And I realize, yeah, that doesn't add up. Like he's not a 14 in the States. He's more like a six in the States. And so I think we're closer to having something that's on both sides of the pond, really around the world. Is, is similar. And so I think that's a step in the right direction. Yeah, I'd heard that, that a six uh, there would trounce a six here. And uh, I've played over there, but uh, never really paying attention to uh, to handicap. So yeah, it, it's like a tournament thing. I mean, they can only post tournament uh, scores or for the most part, they have to post tournament scores. Is that's that my case? understanding. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I, they have a lot more tournaments than we do. Like at, their, at, at a particular club, they'll have probably two or three tournaments a week. Yeah. And so they have plenty of opportunities, but yeah, I think you just can't, it's not you and I just going out for a quick 18 in the afternoon and following the score. It doesn't work that way. Mm. Yeah. What about the, the <laughs> did they, have you been given the primer on uh, the uh, strokes gained statistic and uh, how that works? And uh, at the golf channel, they're giving you uh, you know, a, a thorough understanding of these, the math. 
No, I don't. It's not, and that wouldn't come from the golf channel. I've actually been fortunate enough over the years to Mark Brody, who, who is the professor who came up with the concept of stroke mm. game and, and just a brilliant individual. And he's yeah. kind enough to sort of walk me through some things from time to time. And it's, you know, the, you know, this poor man's having to lead me around because uh, I have absolutely no idea what I'm talking about nine times out of 10. And it, it is fascinating. And, and what's fascinating to me is, and it, this was the conversation we just had recently with Rory, how the players have embraced it. I'm always, a, you know, I've always argued that, like, for example, for the players championship, it'll be the players that decide if it's a major or not. And when it comes to strokes gained, it was going to be the players that decided if these are important or not. And it's amazing how not just Rory, but all of the top players now use these as sort of the gold standard. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I know it's, uh, it's, I'm in remedial math, so I don't know uh, quite what, uh, what to make of it half the time, but I do know that it's, uh, it is meaningful to, to uh, those who play and use it. So I was going to ask you um, with this revamped schedule that we're seeing, I was just on the, uh, on the PGA tours schedule and, uh, you know, you know, website, and they've, I think they've post or they've canceled uh, nine of their own events, postponed uh, a number of things, and and my question to you is, is there a, is there in a revamped schedule like this, are there some conflicting economic interests uh, when it comes to trying to squeeze in things towards the end of the year, you know, with the with the the tour owning its its tournaments, but not the majors, and the majors are going to take precedence for a lot of people. So economically, do you see any, any, uh, any conflict there? I don't know if conflict would be the right word, but certainly there's competing interest. And, mm. and we're going to end up seeing that. There's no doubt in my mind. There's no doubt in my mind that that's going to come up. Now, that being said, as, as I go into the fall and you start looking at possible open dates and where we could play certain events, it, actually the canceling or the postponement of the Olympics opens up a big date for golf. You know, yeah. I mean, it, that was a date that we were obviously going to play in the Olympic Games. So you can imagine how, let's say, the PGA Championship slides into there. You know, there's all kinds of rumors that the first week of April is going to be the Masters. Uh, I think the U.S. Open is just a matter of time before they postpone that. So you're going to figure, have to figure out how to work it in. Now, I have been told, and there, there are weekly meetings between the tour and the Player Advisory Council and the Policy Board, the idea as it stands now is to play as much golf as we can once we get started again. And so I can imagine a world where – Yes, you would play the PGA Championship on a particular week, but there's definitely going to be another tour event going on that week. They have to, just oh, for playing opportunity purposes. So yeah. you, whenever we get started again, there's going to be a lot of golf, and it's going to come at you fast. Yeah, these poor guys on the on the uh, on the, the Corn Ferry Tour, and uh, you know, I mean, you've got all the qualifying that you have to do for uh, the Opens. How, do, how are they going to? They got to squeeze that in, so they've got to push that back far enough to be able to get the qualifying in. I mean, you have all the qualifying for the Opens. You have guys who are trying to keep their PGA Tour cards. I've heard scenarios where you kind of push the FedEx Cup playoffs almost to December, and you mm. include the events in the fall this time around to try to get as many events. Because what you end up with, and this was an interesting conversation that we had Graham McDowell on a conference call earlier this week, and we were talking about the importance of playing the Ryder Cup versus a major. And he was very well-spoken, as he always is, about, mm -hmm. look, the majors have to come first. And he yep. said that well aware of what the Ryder Cup means to the entire world, but specifically Europe. And his idea was, or his philosophy behind this is he was very doubtful. We're going to end up having a, a qualifying process for the Ryder Cup that you end up with the 12 best players from both sides, simply because we don't have that body of work to pull from anymore. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, you know, 12 captain's picks or just top 12. I've heard you know. 12 captain's picks. I don't know. Under normal circumstances, if you ended up with a cap, I mean, think, let's think about this. If it's Paul Azinger, he would probably love that. If it's Steve Stricker, my guess is he'd rather just have to take the top 12. It's all about personality. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The guys who didn't play much in the fall series are probably wondering what they were thinking now. Um, you know, not, not having accumulated some things and kind of behind the, behind the eight ball maybe. Uh, I don't know that uh, – let's take Phil Mickelson. He's a perfect example of one of those guys that doesn't play much in the fall. I don't think he cares. Um, I think you're going to end up with some guys – who are clinging to, you know, you always end up towards the end of the season of guys obviously scrambling for their tour cards. That's going to be where you see a lot of action. And some guys who had a good fall are lucky on that front. Some guys who didn't play, I think, are, are going to end up on the wrong side of this, I'm afraid to say. Yeah. Let me ask you about college golf for a minute. Um, do you think that college golfers on the, on the D1 high-level side are being prepared better now, or are we just seeing sort of an influx of just uh, some exceptional talent in the last couple of years out of, uh, out of school and, and, and jumping right into the PGA? Oh, there's no doubt that they're being prepared better. I mean, if you just – and this is a phenomenon that, I mean, you can trace this back. I mean, obviously the, that class of 2011 with Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas and all of those players, you can, that's where we maybe started having this conversation. But now just look at the next generation, the Matthew Wolfs, the Cam Champs. Colin Morikawa's. I mean, just amazing players who are ready to win right out of the gates. And I've had extended conversations with the Davis Loves of the world about, I mean, when he turned pro, he was very much a phenom, but he had no expectations that he was going to win in his first, second, or third year on the PGA Tour. That just didn't happen. Whereas now, I, I think everything about the college experience, particularly for the top college players who go to the top college programs, they train like professional athletes. They prepare mentally like professional athletes. They structure their days. They, they're, they're fit properly with the right clubs. I mean, they play the best golf courses. Everything they do now is essentially, I, this is not meant as a, a backhanded comment at all, but it's double-A golf is what yeah. it is. And then yeah. you normally move up to, this, let's say, single-A golf, which would be the Corn Ferry Tour, and then obviously the PGA Tour is the major leagues. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, – it, it's, uh... It's interesting to watch these come out. These kids come out with the swagger that they have and the expectations that they have, and it's, it's, it is impressive. I was down in Bradenton in '15 when they did the um, uh, the NCAA's, and uh, boy, that was just was some amazing talent. There really is. It's fun to watch. Fun to and it and, and it's you know a new crop of uh, of young golfers, and they're exciting. They're exciting to watch. So that's uh, you know that's half the battle. That's good stuff. And they're not machines. I mean, I remember there was a there was a wave of thought that, you know, we're, we're sort of creating these robots who don't really know how to play golf. And, and that's not the case at all. Anyone who has watched Matthew Wolf or Morikawa or uh, Hovland play golf, you you don't look at any, any of those three swings and think to themselves, yeah, that's out of, out of a mold. They're, they're all different. They're all unique. They're all their own. They own their own swings. And I, I think that's the beautiful, beautiful thing about this next young generation. Hmm. Yeah, tell me who is the uh, of the of the guys on tour. Uh, who who's the guy that's the most enigmatic, interesting guy that people are just not paying attention to? Oh, not paying attention to. Um, well, well I, not, I, in a big way. Yeah, I know. I see what you're saying. I mean, I think Paul Casey's a, a fascinating individual. I mean, he's so smart and so thoughtful, and and he kind of goes about his business in a very quiet way. 
he doesn't make a lot of headlines. I mean, obviously, he's, I think he's the 34th player in the world right now. So certainly, it's not as though he's flying under any kind of radar. But just from a personality standpoint, I, I always appreciate the type of person he is. And, and you can kind of go down the list. I mean, we were, I was speaking with another writer this morning about the PGA Tour setting up conference calls each week with certain players just to well, help you know feed what I mentioned as the content machine that we're having to feed during these, these times from those sports. And like one of the names that came up was Joel Dahman and, and both of our ears perked up because he's just an interesting guy. I mean, if you followed him on Twitter, you probably have an idea of, of how unique he is. And, and I think if you have a chance to, to meet him and talk to him, he, he, he's so smart and he mm-hmm. sort of looks at things a little bit differently. He has a, a little bit different life experiences than I think what we expect from golfers. I think Max Homa is yeah. a, it's just a fascinating, I don't want to say kid because he's much, much younger than that, but I think it's unbelievable. Yeah, Homer's interesting. He does. Uh, he puts up some fun things on social media. That's for sure. I, I wish I was half as funny as he is. I, I mean, it, it almost <laughs> makes me angry now that you know, in the age of social media, where you it sort of separates those who actually do have a good sense of humor and those who fake it, like me. Yeah. He, has, he, he has a good one. It's amazing. Yeah. What's the most interesting story you've covered in golf in your time at the uh, Golf Channel or Golf Week? Um, well, I, I guess Tiger in, you know, late 2010s, um, that, that would have ranked pretty high up there. Um, everything that he went through, I mean, I think it, not a story that I ever want to do again, but, mm-hmm. but that one was pretty amazing. And, and I just think you can go to certain events where you end up in a situation where it's just truly magical. I mean, the 2008 U.S. Open mm-hmm. at Torrey Pines. I mean, I don't know that, you know, I'll ever sit back and really think about that week in any kind of way that makes me think that, oh, this isn't just an unbelievable experience. I mean, I can, I can, it, 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 it's a story that, I, and I joke about this now because at the time he had hired me and he, he was very much my mentor and Jeff Babineau, who was the golf writer at the Orlando Sentinel. And when he left to go to golf week, I sort of took over for him. So I sort of followed in his footsteps mm-hmm. and he became editor of golf week. And in 2008, he was the editor of golf week. And I was, uh, and again, boring you with a long story. I apologize, but, I had gotten tabbed that week to do sort of a takeout piece. And, you know, that usually takes a little bit more time. You have to sort of sit down and, and work a little bit harder at it. Again, a weekly magazine. So Saturday morning, I had cleared it with sort of my immediate supervisor that, hey, I'm going to stay in the hotel and, and write my takeout piece. And then I'll, I'll come to the golf course this afternoon or whatever. Babineau was having no part of it. Like he was just livid that I would stay in the hotel during, you know, Saturday <laughs> of, a, of a major championship. So sort of he and I went back and forth on it and I begrudgingly, you know, stomped out to the golf course, angry about it, walked out on the back nine to follow Tiger Woods. And it ended up being one of the most magical afternoons I've ever had on the golf course. So I I was, I kind of have to give him total credit. He was being a difficult boss for all the right reasons. Yeah. I, 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 was asked what was the best golf I'd, I had seen. And, you know, you got to make a distinction in person or, or, or on TV, but the best golf I think I had ever seen uh, up till, well, recently, but I was Tiger's back nine on Saturday. Yeah. It was, it was fascinating, just um, amazing golf. And only to be, I think, undone or, or overshadowed maybe by Jordan Spieth at the Open when he, he came back and just, just tore it up. It was well, standing on the range when he, you know, when he did what he did and, and, you know, he takes the drop and however long it took him to figure all that out. It, it was pretty surreal. And yeah. at that point you're thinking it's over. Like 
it's too bad, you know, he made such a good run at it. And for him to pull it together, I agree with you on that one. Yeah, that was fascinating. And I think in person was the the Deutsche Bank. Uh, it, I forget what year it was, but VJ had a four-shot lead uh, on Tiger, and they went uh, – Tiger went birdie, eagle, birdie, and it was gone by uh, the end of the third hole for, yeah. for VJ. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> it was fascinating. So, and well, and yeah. last year, I mean, I don't – you know, you hate to be a prisoner of the moment, but the Masters – Last oh, year, I wrote yeah. that this story was, and, and I just kind of stayed in the men's grill and sort of just wrote about the scene. And, mm-hmm. and for me, it was kind of, you, when you get it firsthand from the players and Tiger's family was in there and, you know, it, it, it was kind of a surreal moment. I mean, you, you obviously were sitting watching what was happening on the golf course, but to watch people's reactions, you know, people within the game, it was pretty, it was awesome. Yeah, I bet. Now, what's your, what's your, uh, what are your thoughts on the uh, Augusta National Women's Amateur? I, I haven't covered it. Um, yep. That that was Ryan Lavner, and he, uh, I, I was amazed. Uh, I mean, last year it was really special. And for, I remember Wednesday afternoon, I was still talking with someone. It was a member about the finish and how exciting it was, and and sort of the buzz. And for an event like that to resonate all the way to Wednesday afternoon of master's week when let's, let's face it, there's about a million other things you would imagine we're going to be talking about. I think that gives you an idea of exactly what it meant, not just to the club, but I think the golf. Yeah. Augusta national's leadership in golf is, is uh, it's, it's wonderful. I really think so. They do such a good job of, uh, you know, sponsoring things around the, around the globe and, uh, and growing the game and uh, with the drive chip and putt and, and the women's amateur, I just think it's a, uh, they're, they're doing such a good service to the, the game of golf. Well, and I view, and this is totally anecdotal and it's personal, but I remember the second year of the drive chip and putt and, and I, it kind of changed my schedule. I had to go up a day or two early cause I had to cover it, be there the Sunday before to cover it. And I remember telling my son, who was probably 11 or 12 at the time, uh, why I had to go up early. He was really interested. And I just sort of mentioned drive, chip, and putt. And the Saturday of the comp, or I'm sorry, the Sunday of the competition, he must have turned it on and saw it. And he immediately calls angry. I mean, just legitimately livid that, how come I'm not doing that? I can do that. And like it dawned on me that, oh, wow, like this really does resonate with 11 and 12 year old kids. To me, I mean, we've seen, you've seen, we've all seen a number of initiatives to try to grow the game come and go. Some of them work, some of them have not. That to me, in my mind, is the best grow the game initiative I've ever seen in golf. Yeah, I, I had the privilege of, of uh, holding a, a drive, chip, and putt uh, event for kids in my my area. And we had, you know, we'd have 35, 40 kids. And, and uh, it was just so much fun to watch them light up when they were when they were playing and, uh, and go on to continue in the game and and you know we had probably 11 of those kids went on to play uh, some form of college golf which was uh, which was fun fun to watch them uh, migrate through there absolutely yeah so well let me ask you this uh, you have I would imagine uh, you enjoy some access to uh, some of the better courses in uh, the country the world maybe I'd like to ask you what is the what's the best course you've played and what's the best one you w- still haven't played um, the best one I haven't played. Um, well, it, and I always make people angry, especially my friends who do usually throw things at me when I get this question because everyone assumes it's going to be Augusta national. Although I was listening to a podcast with Billy Horschel the other day who said Pine Valley and, and the guy who was doing the podcast followed up with not Augusta and, and like Billy didn't, didn't even blink. Nope. Not Augusta Pine Valley. Um, 
So if he can do it, I guess I can do it. A favorite would be in, in this is this is kind of silly to say because not a lot of people play, but Royal Dornick uh-huh. in, in Scotland is always my favorite. I always seem to kind of get goosebumps driving up that road and going through the old town. And it's, yeah. I, I just love every hole in the golf course. I can, I can walk you through every shot I think I've ever hit there. So wow. that one's always on, on top of my list. And uh, it, what's funny is like of all the things I'm, you know, this should have been Friday of the match play. And this is the day the pool play comes to an end. It should be the most fr- exciting Friday in golf. Yeah. And of all the things I'm sort of regretting now that, you know, we're not experiencing the best Friday on the PGA tour or whatever the case may be, along with covering the drive chip and putt on Sunday, me and a colleague would, when we finished this up, we would drive down the road to South Carolina Aiken and play Palmetto, oh, yeah. which, which, uh, a lot of people don't know it was designed by McKinsey. It's essentially the same piece of land that it guts is on. It's just, uh, it's just without the green grass and it's yeah. so much fun to play. And so the, I think those two would rank as the, my, my two favorites. I mean, I just, I, I just cherish the opportunity to play either one of them. Um, the one I haven't played in um, Cyprus would probably yeah. be it. I've had a chance I went out in the middle of the night once during the, during the open at Pebble Beach and, and snuck on with, with, with two players, by the way. I probably shouldn't say who they are because they were staying on the golf course. But we, we ended up playing in the pitch dark two holes, and I, I think it was 13 and 14. Wow. But uh, that's as close as I've ever come. Uh, you know, that's funny. Funny you say that. I mean, my, I would love to be able to play Cyprus. And I tried six degrees of separation at, for months. Uh, now, I'll bore you with this story. Six degrees of separation – to get on, I tried financial companies, golf people. I tried everybody to see on the West Coast who had a, an opportunity. <laughs> so any, my wife and I were out, we were out on a 10-day trip, drove through. I played one illegitimate hole at Cyprus. Um, the, you know the one. You, didn't, you, you finished those two and didn't cross the road. I did. Uh, and that's the one I, I squeezed in quickly. It's funny. And, you know the exact holes I'm talking about. No, I do. Yeah. Yeah. And when I, when I got – my wife had to have some stitches removed from her arm while we were out there. So we we're doing the, the uh, urgent care uh, road trip there. We had to stop at two of them along the way. And the doctor that took her stitches out asked me, Hey, are you a golfer? I said, yeah. He said, have you, have you been playing? I said, well, not much. I said, I would love to play Cyprus. He said, Oh, my son-in-law is a member. We were on our way moving, moving out. And so I got back to New Hampshire. I was sitting around a campfire with some friends telling them about Dr. Umberto D'Ambrosio. And one of them pipes up and said, oh, I used to work with Umberto. And I thought, there's my connection. It was in my backyard the whole time. (laughs) Didn't happen. It didn't happen. But I did have a chance to do a a couple of other uh, wonderful courses. And yeah, it's nice to have a, a bucket list. Sure is. Try to check them off. So, well, Rex, I want to thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Of and, course, uh, love to. Uh, yeah, I'd love to speak with you again, and maybe we'll see you out there on the road at some point. I look forward to it. Let's hope we can actually talk about real golf next time. E- exactly. Thank you, Rex. Take you care. Bye bye. Well, I certainly want to thank Rex for his time. Appreciate it. I found that interesting. I hope you did too. I'd like to ask you if you like the show, please subscribe and uh, give us a rating in there. It'd be helpful. It's on iTunes and it's on Podbean. We appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we'll talk to you next time. 